Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. How are you guys doing today? Man, I am so pumped to preach. We're looking at a passage that I've never preached before, and I've also never heard a sermon on. Um, It's kind of a different story, but that's one of the cool things about teaching through the Bible, about teaching through God's Word, is we come up on passages that we'd otherwise maybe never choose But it's amazing what we find. And so we're going to look at Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. And if you didn't get notes, you can raise your hand. And we've got some amazing ushers. They are circling around you, just waiting for a hand to go up. They want to get you these notes. These notes also have the home church questions on the back. So if you want to grab those, you can be thinking about the home churches and the conversations that you're going to have. But we're going to begin reading our passage together, Mark 1, Verses 1 through 20, let's do this. It says, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. So a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And so he gave them permission, and the impure spirit came out, and it went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As soon as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. What a weird story, right? I mean, I don't think they tell this one up in Brave Kids. I hope not. But I can imagine how that goes. Like, hey, kids, who had bacon this morning, right? (laughs) Speaking of bacon, 
No, but seriously, it's kind of a weird story, right? And, you know, there's some incredible stuff that's happening in this story. It started last week with the storm, but there's this amazing stuff that's happening. But I think before we get to that stuff, we need to ask the question that is probably on a lot of our minds, and that is, are demons real? And if they are, what are they up to today? My grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher, and he would tell me stories when I was young about going, and people would call him and ask him to come to their homes if they thought a family member or a friend was possessed by a demon. And they'd have him come, and, they'd, and then he'd pray for them. And in the name of Jesus, he would cast out the demon. And so he, he would tell me these stories. And then one day, he was like, you know, I think I want you to start coming with me. And I just thought, man, that's a lot for a five-year-old, <laughs> Right? No, but I didn't, I didn't have any of my own experiences with this until I was about 20 years old. I was at a church service uh, at, in Southern California at this church that I was working at. And at the end of the gathering, this woman came forward towards the front as people were leaving. And she was making all of these weird sounds and just kind of convulsing. And there was like foam coming out of her mouth. And then she's up in the front and the prayer team is praying for her. And so I go over to join them and I see her eyes are flipped back. They're just white. And she's making sounds that you wouldn't think she'd be able to make. And so we prayed in the name of Jesus that the demon would leave her and it was cast out. Now, some of you here today, you might not believe that demonic forces are real. But if you do believe they are, or you do think they are, you need to know that you're not alone. You're not the only one that thinks that this is possible. In fact, I did some research this week and I found a study published by USA Today and it was a poll conducted in America, and it found that 56% of men said they believed in demons, and 59% of women said the same, and that it's possible, they believed it is possible to be possessed. And then 63% of people 18 to 29 believed this is possible also, an even higher percentage. So that means that the percentage of people that believe it's possible to be demonically possessed now outpaces those in America who consider themselves religious. So maybe you've had your own experiences with demonic forces, or you may have heard stories from a friend or a family member. Um, Have you ever thought that your spouse was possessed? Anybody? Don't, Don't raise your hand. Or your car ride home won't be fun. Okay? But maybe this stuff seems really far-fetched to you. Maybe it seems unbelievable. And you might be here, and when we, when we come to topics and subjects like this, you might be thinking, man, this is why I find believers so hard to believe. It's when they start talking about stuff like this, and I, and I just don't, don't get it. Well, I'm really glad you're here today. If that's where you're at, I'm so glad you're here today, because I believe that God wants to give us a fresh perspective on how we view spiritual forces in this world. So we've all probably had different experiences. We all come with different perspectives. But maybe you know what it's like to enter a place or a region and just feel like something dark is there. To walk by something, walk by a store or a shop or walk into an environment and just feel like there's, there's more going on than meets the eye. I can't put my finger on it. I'm not quite sure what it is, but there's something more happening. Or maybe you've had a conversation that you walked away from feeling dirty feeling like, man, that was toxic. What's going on there? It felt like there was this confusion or, or this deception, what was happening. Uh, or maybe you've had a day where there were all of these seemingly coincidental things that were stacking up to the point where you started to wonder, is there something more working against me than just chance? 
than just coincidence, okay? So this is the kind of day that we're seeing this story in Mark 5 where Jesus is stepping into. There are all of these things that are happening, and they don't appear to be coincidences. They're too great. A storm, first thing that happens when he gets on the, on the shore, a, a demonically possessed guy comes towards him. So what's going on? Uh, a little review for those who weren't here last week because this is an important part of the story. Last week, Jesus gets on a boat. He's done teaching on this side of the lake. He gets on a boat and him and his disciples, they're, they're traveling across the lake. A giant storm comes. The disciples are feared for their, fearing for their lives. So they go and wake up Jesus. Jesus was sleeping through it. And they wake up Jesus. They're like, Jesus, help us. We're going to die. Help us. And so he, he gets up and he says, quiet, be still. And the way he talks to this storm is as if there is something demonic behind it. And so here's where we are in Mark 5, and he gets off the boat, and this, this demon says to him, my name is Legion, we are many. So this isn't the, the run-of-the-mill possessed guy that we've been seeing all throughout Jesus' ministry. This is something more. This is, this is bigger than that. The opposition isn't pulling any punches. Now, I don't usually do this up front, but I want to make something really clear the tension in this story, the tension in this passage, um, isn't the struggle. It's not that there was this epic battle between good and evil. I believe that the same evil that tried to take out Jesus tries to take us out. But the same power in Jesus is in us, and Jesus wasn't scared. Okay? It's critical that we don't talk about spiritual warfare and spiritual battles and evil forces as a people that are caught in a struggle because that's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that death has been beaten, the grave has been conquered, and Jesus is risen. Amen? There is no spiritual power in existence that can stand against the power of God. So we need to go into this with this perspective. But there is still an enemy that is real. And if the devil can't convince you that he's stronger, he'll convince you that he doesn't exist. And by becoming invisible, he has an angle of attack. I think one of the greatest accomplishments in our time of evil forces is convincing you that they don't exist by becoming invisible. In some parts of the world, the demonic, it's very outwardly seen. It's different. But here in America, it's, it's, it's more rare, I think, that we see these outward expressions like we're reading about in this story. It's kind of like how warfare has changed. If you think about it, back in the day when men went to fight to have these huge battles, it was out in the open. It was on a battlefield. But now in modern warfare, everything is about being stealth. Everything is about being covert. It's about being cunning. It's a totally different fight. And so we need to see what's going on spiritually. Number one in your notes, you don't have to be possessed to be harassed by demonic forces. You don't have to be possessed to be harassed by demonic forces. Let's take this out of the context of what we've seen in scary movies, okay? We're not talking about the exorcist here. Like, like we need to bring this down to our lives, okay? In this passage, we see the full evolution of what the demonic wants to do to a human being. And then we also have this, this opportunity now to contrast that to what the Holy Spirit desires in our lives. So let's take a look. Just the first one, starting in verse three, it says, this man lived in tombs. 
The first thing that the demonic wants to do is isolate you, wants to take you away from community, to devalue community. It's just you and God. You don't need your friends. You don't need a spiritual community. You don't need other followers of Jesus. But that's not how we were created. See, the Holy Spirit leads us towards community. The demonic influences you. When you're having a rough week or you're having a bad day or you're overwhelmed, it's like, man, I need to take a break from church. That's not God. No, we got to gather. We got to stay together. We got to encourage one another. You need a spiritual community. It is priceless. It's how God designed our faith to be lived out. So demonic influences you and downplays that in your life. This guy's living in tombs. He's independent. He's isolated. But the Holy Spirit leads us to see our dependence on one another. Continuing on, it says, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. He was out of control. He was completely out of control. The demonic influences areas of your life to the point where you would lose control. But you know, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. That's the opposite. See, when we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it leads us to self-control that we aren't even capable of on our own. But without Jesus, without God, our lives go in a direction that is completely out of control. It says no one was strong enough to subdue him. A whole town couldn't keep this guy under control. He was empowered for evil. The opposite of his calling, the opposite of what God wanted for his life. He he had supernatural strength for evil. I think sometimes what this looks like in our lives is is when we experience success in a direction that's not God's best for our lives, that's not his calling on our lives. But then on the flip side, there is the potential, the Holy Spirit, to empower us supernaturally for good. When you st- this is when you start going in the direction that God's called you to, doing the things that he's created you to do, and you're like, how am I doing? I'm doing more than I ever thought possible on my own. And that's because there is an empowerment that comes from the spirit of God. Verse five, it says, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he'd cry out and he'd cut himself with stones. He was harming himself. He was hurting himself. This is the opposite of seeing yourself as a valued creation. The ultimate evolution of going down this path of this demonic influence is, to, is to, to look at God and say, I don't even value the life that you've given me to cut yourself, to hurt yourself. But the Holy Spirit always leads you over the course of a lifetime to be more and more aware of how valuable you are. This produces confidence. This is, produces security. This, there are so many things that this does in our lives, but it's a journey. But you can know that when you're being influenced and you're hearing thoughts and you're believing lies that are headed in a direction that cause you to see yourself as less, to value yourself less, to compare yourself to others and start to find your worth in different places. That's not the influence of the Holy Spirit. There's a thought-provoking fictional book written by C.S. Lewis. If you don't know who he is, he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, but he also wrote a lot of really awesome theological books that we, we've learned so much from. And in this book, it's, it's fiction, but it's fascinating. It's depicting a conversation between a senior devil named Screwtape and his nephew Wormwood. And the goal as he's mentoring his nephew is to pull a Christian away from God. And so it's a fictitious depiction, but listen to this quote. This is what he's saying to his nephew as he's trying to pull him away from God. He says, talk to him about moderation in all things. 
if you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and it's more amusing. See, this is what Jesus is speaking to in Matthew 5.13 when he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If the demonic can influence you and diminish your passion for God, diminish your passion for the things of God, diminish your love for one another, if it can weaken your convictions, it has a chance at leading you away from God. Over time, a salt that loses its saltiness. Um, This is the path that leads us to rationalize things. You know, this isn't really out of control. Or when I look at other people's lives, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same things that they're doing, even though maybe you once had a conviction about it, but you start to rationalize things that you know aren't God's best for your life. This is when you lose the value of community, when the excuses or the, the rationalization takes over and you're, and you're pulled away from the community. This is when you start to use your gifts only for yourself. When you, when you say to yourself, you know, I'll, when I retire, I'll have more time to give back. Or when I, when I retire, or, or later on, when I'm, I'm really busy right now, but, but someday I'm going to get involved. Someday I'm going to do that. It's just not right now. Guys, the gospel demands that we view the time as now, not later. There is no later when it comes to following Jesus. The time is now. Forces of evil, evil are real, and they want to downplay the urgency They want to downplay the importance of this mission. And you don't have to be possessed to be harassed. I think part of why we don't always see these influences in our lives is because the enemy is very happy to give away the credit. It doesn't need you to know or recognize what's happening to accomplish its goal. So we need to be smart, we need to be wise, but we need to have spiritual vision for what's happening. Number two, your spiritual focus impacts your future reality. Your spiritual focus impacts your future reality. Often this means evaluating our emotions, taking our thoughts captive, considering, is this from God? Is it, how does this measure up to the truth and what I'm learning in God's word, in my devotion time, in, 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 my, in my conversations with my home church? What is, where is this thought or feeling coming from? And, and how do I evaluate that? Because there are thoughts that are, that are not from God that can pop into your head. This is one of the ways that we're influenced. This is why the Bible says to take our thoughts captive, Spiritual focus impacts your future reality. Um, when my wife, Marcy, and I first started dating, she used to have a lot of scary dreams. And she would ask me to pray with her on the phone before bed. And so I would you know, call her, we would pray, but she would still have these scary dreams. And I'm just like, what's up, God? I'm trying to impress this girl. And she's still having the dreams. My prayers aren't working. Like, come on. And so, but one day we were talking and she told me about this movie that she had just watched and it was a really scary movie. It was like a horror movie. And I don't like scary movies. Uh, I know, you know, some people just love them. I like thrillers, but I don't like anything like evil, okay? And so we talked about it and I'm like, man, you should stop watching those movies, okay? And so she stopped watching them and guess what? Her nightmares went away, right? They planted a seed of fear and it gave room for that fear to grow. But when her focus was redirected, it no longer had room to grow. It no longer had a place in her life. What you're focusing on will impact 
your reality. Uh, another friend of mine got really interested in exorcisms, and he was doing all this research from the Catholic Church and the amount of exorcisms in the world right now and all this stuff. And as he starts doing all this research, he starts having these strange things happen in his home at night. And, and he's like seeing things and all kinds of stuff. And he even like set up a camera to try to catch it. And then he stopped researching it, and it, well, we, we prayed, we prayed in his house, and then it went away. But the, but the point is, is that this didn't happen until he gave his focus to that. that. It wasn't a coincidence. When he started focusing on these things, he started seeing different things. Um, you don't have to be possessed to be harassed. You don't have to be possessed to be harassed. We've got to raise our awareness of how this stuff works. Um, we need to be aware of how evil influences. I heard a metaphor once that really stuck with me about a bird that's flying over your head. And often our thoughts are like this. It's like there's, there's this bird flying over our head, and you may have no control over that bird that's flying over your head. But what you do have control over is whether or not you allow, allow it to land on your head and build a nest. But often what the enemy does is these thoughts pop into our head, and then we feel guilty like, man, why am I thinking about this? Like, what kind of, what kind of person am I? Like, like, we feel guilty, we feel ashamed, and then we don't want to talk about it. And then it allows that to grow. See, when you bring it to light, when you talk about it, when you shoo it away, that's one thing. But when it lands on your head and builds a nest, it becomes something altogether different. The next thing that we need to learn from this passage, number three, is when you're active in God's mission, you can expect your faith to be tested. There's this pattern all throughout scripture that before great things happen, before great ministry happened, there's a period of testing. Jesus himself went into the desert and was tested before his public ministry began. Here we see Jesus on a mission, and he's starting to commit public acts of war. He's called 12 people to be his disciples, his core, his inner circle that he's mentoring and developing for this great takeover, this great spread of the kingdom of God. And now he's headed into enemy territory, and the enemy isn't happy. Lately, we have had so much to celebrate as a church. I mean, it's been incredible. Record numbers of people have been deciding to follow Jesus. It's an incredible season of evangelism. And now people are getting into home churches, and they're growing. And, you know, the enemy sees that, right? I was talking to someone last week in the lobby. Uh, she's an incredible volunteer, core to our, our community. And she was telling me how she's been going through this stuff at work where uh, she's doing everything right, yet she's having all of these problems with her clients. And she was talking to her boss about it, and her boss was like, man, you're doing everything right. I don't know why you're, you're being treated so poorly and why this is all happening. And she told me, she said, can you pray for me? Because I feel like I'm under attack. Like, that's not a coincidence. When we have over 100 people come back to church on a Sunday night, last Sunday night, to worship God. And it feels like there's 500 people in the room. When we move beyond words to action, we're going to be tested. We can expect that testing to come. See, the enemy doesn't want you to serve. The enemy doesn't want you to, to be united. The enemy doesn't want you to have tough conversations with a friend. Iron sharpens iron and walk away closer. He wants you to walk away offended and divided. The enemy doesn't want you to step outside of your comfort zone. And when you start to do, uh, to do this and you feel insecure and you think, man, I don't, I don't know if I can take that next step. I don't know if I can do that. And you start to do that. You need to remind yourself who you place your security in. Don't let the enemy get in your head. Don't let the enemy stop you from doing what God's calling you to do. 
The enemy doesn't want us to grow closer to God, but the enemy can't stop what God is doing. He'll try and he'll test us. I mean, think about it. Jesus himself was harassed. Jesus himself was tested. So why wouldn't we be? If Jesus was harassed by demonic forces, we can expect the attacks to come. And, you know, the demons, think about it. They even tried to outsmart Jesus. When I first heard this story, and and every time really I've heard it until recently, I thought, man, it's kind of like they won. It feels almost like this is kind of a weird story because it almost feels like they got a small victory because they asked Jesus, they begged him for something, and then he gave it to them. And then they go and, and all the pigs die. But to the Jewish audience, they would have seen this very differently. They're trying to outsmart Jesus by asking if they can go into the pigs so that they can stay in the region. He sends them into the pigs, and in one fell swoop, they go off the cliff into the sea, which was known as the satanic realm, and they're gone. Isn't that amazing? Some of the complicated and uncommon things that happen in our lives, they're not from God, and they're not a coincidence. They're from the enemy, so we need to recognize them as being a test and a spiritual attack. We see this a lot in marriages today. Uh, when, when you love your wife and your family is thriving and you go on a work trip and you're tempted to have an affair or do something with a coworker, that's an attack. We need to call that what it is. When friendship with someone of the opposite sex becomes something more and there's an intimate emotional bond and it's not your spouse, that's an attack. When something happens that doesn't seem like a big deal now, but it's just a small thing maybe, but you don't want to tell your spouse about it, that's an attack. We got to get things in the light. We got to deal with them because the enemy is clever. And if you give him a foothold, it'll grow. It's not a mystery that marriages are under attack. And I just want to say something just so that you hear my heart in this, because if you've been through a divorce or your marriage has has made it through and, and God willing been strengthened through an affair, there is so much grace and forgiveness. I'm not talking about the past. We are not talking about the past right now. We're talking about the present and the future. If you look at the odds of a marriage failing in our, in our nation today, why wouldn't you begin with boundaries in place? Why wouldn't you begin with a plan to protect it? If it's so valuable to you, when something is so valuable, you plan to protect it. When you love your spouse, when you love your family, when you love your kids, you declare victory in your marriage daily, and we carry a victor's perspective. So we don't need to be scared of attacks. We don't need to be weirded out by them. We need to deal with them. We need to name the attack. We need to share. We need to carry that burden with other people. On the cross, Jesus secured our victory. And so we don't, we don't need to be afraid when we face attacks. And when we do this, when we have this victor's perspective, something really amazing happens. Number four, spiritual attacks reveal the path to God's redemption. They reveal the path to God's redemption. There's an awesome story. One of my favorite biblical characters, his name's Joseph. And he had this dream when he was young that God was going to do great things through his life. But he made the mistake of sharing that with his brothers. Anybody been there? Okay, so they throw him in a pit. Then they sell him into slavery. And he's got a rough go, okay? But he overcomes so much. This is what I love about Joseph. He overcomes so much, and he maintains his integrity. And this puts him in a position to be the second only to the king of the land. 
And God shows him that there's a famine coming. And so he has the wisdom to prepare for this famine. And in doing so, he's not only able to save the people of that land, but he's also able to save the people of Israel, including his own family. And so there's this scene where his brothers come because they need help. And he reveals to them who he is. And this is what he says to them. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. I think sometimes we read the stories of Jesus and we too quickly jump into the view of how can I be like that or what is Jesus trying to teach me through what he's teaching his disciples? But there's also this 30,000 foot view. You know, this is a story. There's a narrative unfolding and there's things that we can see when we look at the big picture of what's going on. And when we do that in this story, what we see is there's a storm There's a legion, and it's not a spontaneous, teachable moment. Okay, There's something happening. Jesus was leaving one side of the lake for another. And the Jewish side of the lake, it's full of people who knew about Yahweh. They knew about God. They were experiencing Jesus's ministry. He's healing people. He's setting them free. Ministry was good on that side of the lake. Like If you're a pastor, you don't want to leave that, right? But he leaves that side of the lake to go to another. And when he goes to this other side of the lake, he's going to an unholy place. He's going to an unholy people. He's going to Gentiles. He's going to enemy territory. And then he does his stuff and he heals and he he sets free and the people don't even appreciate it. Like if you're Jesus, you've just gone through all of this for these people and they ask you to leave, right? They didn't get it. They thought, man, we couldn't couldn't control this guy, and now you're more powerful than him. We're going to lose all of our animals, right? We're going to lose everything, so you've got to go. And so at this point, he seems very unappreciative, unappreciated, but then something really interesting happens. The man asks if he can come with Jesus, and he asks in a way that he's desiring to be one of his 12. He wants to be in. He's like, you set me free. I know what you did for me. I want to come with you. But Jesus responds. He says, no. Look what he says. He says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how how much Jesus had done for him. And all of the people were amazed. What attack in your life or your family or your marriage or your community did the enemy mean for harm? But God has turned it for good. Maybe it was cancer. Maybe it was an affair. Maybe it was an offense in a friendship. Maybe it was anxiety, depression, stress, fear. You name it. Name your attack. Name your attack. God can take all of these and redeem them. And when God redeems them, they become something. They become a testimony. The Bible says there's power in our testimonies. Our testimonies, they're stories of what God's done in our lives. And God uses them to bring hope and healing to others. Jesus crossed the lake to set a man free so that that man could then go back and set his family free. They saw a tangible change. They were blown away. He was a completely different person than he was before he encountered Jesus. This is such a beautiful picture of what God does in all of our lives. We are all this man enslaved to sin with no hope of a better future until Jesus crossed the lake for us. 
And in crossing the lake, Jesus, he fulfilled a messianic prophecy that goes back to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 65, look what it says. It says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here am I, here am I. Theologians, they refer to this as prevenient grace. He offered grace to a godless people who weren't asking for it, who had no idea what Jesus could do for them. Imagine a church that views their mission this way. See, we live on that side of the lake. We're here. We don't have to cross the lake. The mission is all around us. All around us, there are people that are looking for community. They might not know it yet, but it's what they need. There are people that are looking for significance. They know that their life was meant to be more than what they're living for. And most importantly, there are people that need salvation. And God has placed us here. This church exists to reach those people, to reach out. Remember, the enemy doesn't need to get the credit or be seen to accomplish its work. It just needs you to care less about what truly matters. A few years back, I had a brief season where I was building a business. And I had it started with this dream, this idea that, you know, if I am successful in building this business, then later on, I could do ministry and be no burden to any church, but just be fully independent and fully supported. And so I thought this was, you know, it started off as a really cool dream. But what happened is... You know, I got into it, and a, and a few months in, I was making more money than I've ever made. I was experiencing a lot of success in it. And the next thing you know, I'm going to bed at night thinking about how I can do more. And I'm waking up in the morning thinking about how I can do more. My days are consumed with this idea of attaining more. And no amount of success and no amount of money added up to be enough because I always wanted more. But what God did at that place is he broke me and he showed me In my success, as I was outwardly doing really, really well, I was dying on the inside. And he used this, what the enemy would have loved to see, as as an attack on my life that took me in the wrong direction than God's called me to. He used it to affirm my calling, to get me to a point where I wouldn't be able to see myself doing anything other than what I'm doing now. Now, only about 1% of you are called to vocational ministry. So you can take a deep breath and you can let it out and you don't need to go quit your job tomorrow because that's not the point here. But 100% of you are called to this mission. 100% of you are, are called here to live this mission because we are surrounded by people that need to be set free. So maybe you know what it's like to be headed in the wrong direction and even experience success and view that as an affirmation but then know in your heart that there's a fire that used to be there and it's getting diminished. It's getting dimmer. And so today, God would invite you to turn back. A friend of mine once said that you're you're always one turn away from Jesus. No matter how far you go, you can't get that far because he's right there. When you're not following him, he's following you. So we're gonna stand. I wanna invite you to stand wherever, wherever you're at. But then I want to pray for you before we enter back into this time of worship. And if you, where you're standing, if you'll close your eyes, we're just going to close our eyes. This is a moment for us to look, to look inside our hearts. And God, I just pray that as we are worshiping, 
And as we are singing about the holy ground where you have placed us, if there is anything that the enemy is meant for harm, if there is any attack in any area of our lives, that you would reveal it to us so that our passion would grow, so our, so our flame would, would, would burn brighter, that it would be stronger, that you would refocus us to the mission and the call that you've placed on each of our lives individually. And if there's anyone here that needs to be set free, God, I pray that you would set them free today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only he can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.